Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. Labor Day weekend, kind of the pseudo-official end of summer, right? So we're glad you're with us. We're right in the middle of a series on our name, Life Community Church. And I thought I'd start this morning by um, doing a little bit, actually, of what Dan did last week and talk about my name a little bit um, and, uh, and, and, and something that ties directly into this morning. I was not supposed to be Tom or Tommy or Thomas or whatever. I mean, it's my name, and that's what, what's on my birth certificate. But I was supposed to be called Michael, um, which is my middle name, Thomas Michael Burns. Um, so when I was born, my family intended to call me by my middle name. And they did that because my dad actually goes by his, went by his middle name, Edward Thomas Burns. Um, and so there was kind of this, like, this, I don't know, call it tradition of, of calling it, can you call it tradition after only one generation? Um, but, but there was this sort of tradition of, we're going to call him by his middle name, Michael, that it's not confusing with his dad being Tom and then his first name, Thomas. So I'm named after my dad's middle name and what people called him, right? But it was going to be my middle name. But the reason, there's actually a reason, very specific reason, that my dad went by his middle name, and that is because his first name, Edward, he actually um, has a brother named Edward as well. So this is true. My dad is Edward, and his brother is Edward. And it got really confusing around their house if he didn't go by his middle name. Okay? This is all the, because my, my grandmother, my dad's mom, was, she was married twice. Both men were named Edward. And the firstborn male from both marriage was named after their father, Edward. So family reunion is a confusing time at, with, with the Burns family. Okay? But, but there's a, there's a, your middle name, okay? we're, we're, we're talking about life, community, church, and today's the, our middle name, community. Okay? And um, we, you know, we, we do this thing, right, where we say, like, something, well, that is my middle name, you know, like, perseverance is my middle name, right? Or uh, maybe you know uh, whose middle name is Danger. Who was that? Come on, no? Austin Powers. Somebody said it. Austin Powers, right? Danger is my middle name. Anybody know Janet Jackson's middle name, at least according to her song, Control? No? Privacy is her middle name? No? Nobody? Children of the 80s? All right. Never mind. All right. But we do this thing, right, where we say, like, this is my middle name. And my middle name goes beyond, like, what people call me, and it really describes something that's true about me, that, that I'm good at, okay? Something that, that you can know me by, something that I aspire to be. And, of course, around here, community is our middle name, okay? It's our middle name. It's it's what we aspire to be as a community of people that are, that are active together, that we're engaged in something. And that, and that middle name has meaning for us. It has meaning for us. If you have a Bible, we, it's a passage that, that holds a lot of meaning for those of us around here. But if you've got a Bible, would you look at Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. And we want to look at this word community although strangely in this passage, it's not translated as community, okay? But we want to look at this word community and try to wrap our heads around what, what is our middle name? When we say that we are life community church, what are we saying by using the word community? So in Acts chapter 2, to set the stage here, um, we, we, uh, we spent some time in Acts oh, about 15 months ago, last summer. And, and I hope some of these things may, may be uh, refreshers for you, may be new to you, but, but in the book of Acts, is, is all, it's almost all descriptive. 
It's not prescriptive necessarily telling us the way things ought to be, but it's descriptive. It's telling us that the way things were, it's, it's a historical record of the earliest Christians and, and the movement from the, from the period of time from Jesus' ascension into heaven to about a, a period of time of, of maybe about 30 years in the growth of the church. And, and, um, and essentially what we see all throughout the New Testament, but especially in the book of Acts, is that there's, they had really three chief concerns. If we kind of put almost all the stuff that's going on in, in all the writings of the New Testament, we sort of see three chief concerns. We see them trying to address and understand and, and say, what is the gospel? What is it? What, what, is, what is the good news that Jesus came to, to provide? What is the gospel? We also see in the New Testament that there's a huge push on going out in mission. Right? Going out in mission or evangelism, the power of the Spirit is going to come on you and you will be my witnesses, my, my missionaries out to the world. Okay? And that, that's all throughout the New Testament. So we can, kind of, we can take a lot of what's in the New Testament and put it in that category, in that box of mission. And then the third thing that they really seem to be concerned with, and, and again, if you've been with us at all through the summer, you saw this all throughout the book of Romans, those, those chapters 12 to 15 that we examined, what does it look like to live in unity as followers of Christ? What does it look like for us in our relationships with one another to, to live in, in harmony and in unity, pursuing God together? Okay? And so what we're going to look at here in Acts chapter 2, what we're going to look at is a description of the earliest sort of interpretation of what that meant. Kind of that last question. It's describing what it looked like for them to live in unity with one another. So if you look at Acts chapter 2, towards the very end, verse 42. Acts 2, verse 42. It says this. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay? This little section in the book of Acts describing what's going on, and this is what's going on really short term, almost immediately after Jesus left. And in the grand scheme of history, this is like, this is like almost the next day. Okay? It's not literally, but it's close. This is how those who had been with Jesus were living after he'd ascended to heaven and they'd received the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so to, to set this up, to set this up, if you take a look again at just that very little, that little, two little words in, in verse 42 to, to, to kind of reset this, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We could maybe shorthand that as, although it's pretty short on its own, right? But we could maybe say that's the gospel. What were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the good news, the good news that, that victory over sin has come through the, through the death of Christ and the power of the resurrection gives us new life, a hope of new life. They were, they were devoted to that, the, the, gospel, the gospel teaching, the apostles' teaching. And then it says, to the fellowship, okay? To the fellowship. And, and again, this, this fellowship is where we want to camp here. This could be translated as they devoted themselves to community, okay? To community. 
The, the words the, fel- the fellowship, and obviously there's, you've got that article in there to make it the fellowship, sort of like the university down the street, right? Okay. But, but there's this, this article in there that, that makes it like this is something specific. It's different from just sort of a generic idea of, of having affinity with others. Um, it's different from just kind of, kind of like we, we, we know one another, we're acquainted with one another, and we don't have problems with one another. This actually is talking about something pretty specific. And it's, it's from the Greek word koinonia, okay? koinonia. And koinonia is rooted in the word koinos, which is common in Greek. Okay? Common, it's where we get community from out of this. Okay? So it's, 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 it's from the word common. Um, it's kind of a made-up word. Okay? It doesn't appear outside of the New Testament and other Greek literature until after the church has started using it. Okay? So, it's, so it's kind of a, a word that they made up to, to describe or to identify the dynamic that was taking place in the church. Um, maybe the best sort of translation of this, rather than fellowship or community, might be that, that they were devoted to the communion of the, of the Spirit. It's, a, it's an inherently spiritual word. It's something that they, it says they were devoted to it. They were devoted to being in, in a common relationship through the Spirit with one another. Okay? And so it, it, it uses those words. It sets this up. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And then it goes on to do some description of what things were like, okay? the things that were going on. And so it's just... And, and the risk of, of breezing over this. But these are some of the things that are described there. And they're not just described here. They're described in other places in Acts as well when it describes this dynamic. But it says they were in awe at the work of the Spirit. Okay? There was, there was um, like, awe is a great word. Their minds were being blown by the things they were seeing the Spirit do. Okay? There was togetherness. They were, they were sort of committed to being together. That's a key element of this. Okay? There's a, there was a commitment to it. There was commonality, okay? Commonality, a, a sharing of, of life in a way that, that, as it says there, there were gifts to the needy, but there was, it says they shared all things in common. Okay? Acts chapter 4 repeats that, that they shared everything in common. It goes beyond just their material objects. It actually, they sort of shared their lives with one another. There were shared meals. It goes on to say that they had favor with outsiders. They, they shared that they had favor with all the people. And then it describes this dynamic of growth. This dynamic of growth. And what I would assert today would be, those are things, when we say community is our middle name, okay? Community is our middle name. We want that list to be what that word community means. Okay? Awe at the power of the Spirit amongst us. A shared life together. A dedication to being with one another. Favor with those who are outside sort of our tribe. Okay? And growth, not for growth's sake, but growth for the sake of the fact that there are people who need Christ. They need that good news. And, and because we have it, we've got hold of it, and we're sharing it with others, we're seeing people added to the group. When we say community is our middle name, that's sort of what we mean, that list, okay? So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Let's talk about it a little bit, okay? We're, with Acts 2, we're going to jump around to some other places in Scripture. But I want to I make a first statement here, okay? One reason that this is necessary, 
okay? One reason that community or, or fellowship or koinonia is necessary is because without it, we're blind to our true condition. We're blind to what's really going on. I remember um, as, a, as I was a younger man, I was still in my college days, and um, in college, in my college days, uh, I had two really close friends, okay? Two really close friends. And um, they, it was, we were staggered. Um, uh, the, I was in the middle. There was one that was one year ahead of me and one that was one year younger than me. And, but the three of us, we were pretty tight, but I was kind of the bond that sort of held those three together. Um, and, and so when the first one was getting ready to graduate, towards the end of, of his, his time, we started to have a little more purposeful time together. You know, most of our college experiences together had been running over to the, the student lounge to play whatever silly video game they'd put in over there, or playing pool together, or ping pong, or going to movies, or whatever. Um, Taco Bell runs, um, you know, at, at 1 a.m. or whatever. Um, sorry, we had curfew, so it wasn't quite that late. Um, but but, but um, I had these two friends, and sort of towards the end, we started to spend a little more purposeful time with one another. And um, there, there was a night that I spent with those, those guys that to this day, it's, you know, I, I've put a pin in that night, okay? I don't think I'm going to forget it. Um, and and, and it, here's what happened. We were, we were with one another, and I had a perception about our relationships, I had a perception that our relationships had a certain glue to them, like a, a stickiness to them, and that that stickiness was rooted in the fact that we were just, we, we knew each other, okay? We knew each other at the level of our heart, at our soul, at our gut, okay? That, that everything that there was to know about Tom Burns, that these guys knew it, okay? And we sat there that night, and we were talking about, you know, just, the inevitable transitions that were taking place and what things were going to be like when, when the eldest of these three, uh, the three of us moved on. And, and I shared that thought with them. I said, I think, I think what's, there's no way that our relationships drift apart because, and I share what I just said to you, we're, we're so connected at the level of the soul. And I will never forget those two guys sitting, we were in my dorm room, they were sitting across from me. I will never forget the two of them looking at each other and doing like the look of incredulity, right? Like, he's kidding, right? Okay? And so suddenly my self-awareness alarm is going off, right? So I, I say, well, what? And their response, two of them in, almost in unison was, we don't really know you the way you think we know you. Like you've, you're pretty guarded and protected and you, you parcel out information to us when it sort of benefits you. And me, you know, my stomach is going, what? Right? But, but we don't, what you just described isn't really the way we feel connected to you. We laugh together. We have a good time. But I don't know that I really know your soul. And I was stunned, right? I was stunned. Because I'd been truthful with these guys, but I hadn't really been honest with them. Do we understand the difference? I'd, I, I can say I don't think that I'd really ever lied to them, but I hadn't really revealed who I was in a way that they, they could respond and say, yeah, we know who you are. Without a doubt, we're certain that we know the real Tom. Okay? And it was, some, it was a moment for me where I became aware of the fact that there's a relational dynamic that takes place 
particularly amongst believers who, who, are, who are pursuing a common relationship in the Spirit, where one of the functions of that relationship, one of the things that ought to be happening is a revelation to, to ourselves, to us, of who we really are. It's, it's shining a light on, our, on our, our, the, the, the darkness of our soul. Right? And that happens in koinonia. Right? And we see it in the New Testament. In Ephesians, Paul writes, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with their neighbor. For we are members one of another. Like we're, we're sort of sharing in the same energy of life. We're sharing in the same common spirit. So put away the falsehood with one another. Stop with the lies. Stop with the deceit. And there's all these one another's in the New Testament. There's, it's over 100 times it's used, about 70 different instructions when, when the New Testament says one another. It's almost always instructions to address that sort of third concern of the New Testament. That third concern, with, there's the gospel and then the mission, but there's this unity in the body of believers. And, and so the one another's come in and they sort, of, they sort of come at us and they show us what it means to live in real unity and harmony with other believers. Do these things with one another. So it says, put away falsehood, speak the truth with your neighbor. For you're members of one another. You share a very like the, a, a bond that goes to the very soul of you. Be, be honest. Put away the falsehood. In James, it's reiterated, confess your sins. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We, we quote that second half of that an awful lot to say, like, well, if someone's praying, it's got great power. But notice the context of it. The context of what's said is that this, this prayer takes place when we're in the midst of confessing our sins, bringing to bear what's true about our life with one another. Confession takes place in this dynamic, the one another koinonia dynamic of our faith. And so I'd say this. One of the reasons that community is our middle name is because we believe at our very core that without koinonia, we just sort of wander in our own self-deception. We build patterns in our life, and then we sort of reinforce those patterns by interpreting our, our experiences and whatever data is available to us. We just sort of reinforce those patterns in ways that sort of continue us moving along in life without ever really taking stock or consideration of what might actually be true. But what koinonia community causes us to do, at least it ought to cause us to do, is to put ourselves in a place where the real condition, the sin of my soul, the dishonesty with who, of who I am is exposed before others, where my, my secrets are sort of taken from me. Right? So I can't lie because these people know my secrets. And that's a function of community. It's a function of koinonia. It's part of what we mean when we say community is our middle name. Okay? The second reason that I think this is a, this is a key idea is just this, this sort of realm of isolation, detachment, and apathy that kind of reign in our culture. Okay? Isolation, detachment, and apathy. 
that, and, and by those things, I don't mean, you know, that we're, because if, you've, if you are active in certain social media fields, you may see, say, people are completely not detached, like they're not apathetic, they're just constantly berating one another with stuff, and that's not really what we mean. What I mean is, and, and actually, this, it sort of makes my point, what's mostly happening in those settings is people who are not relationally connected to one another, they don't really care about the person at the other end of their words, we're just firing them off. Into the, into, into the air, and maybe there's some sort of username at the top of, of whatever we're responding to, but it's not really care and concern for my neighbor that's generating a lot of that. We're actually pretty apathetic when it comes to them, but we're really fired up when it comes to what we feel like we want to say. And I would say to you that, that without personal community, without koinonia, our tendency is to isolate ourselves, to detach from other people, and become apathetic to those that are around me. That's, that's our, our natural tendency. And I'll be honest with you, maybe I'm, maybe I'm emphasizing this so much because I know how true it is of me. I'm, I'm a, yeah, I get up here in front of you on a regular basis, but I'm a born introvert. I'm a born introvert. I love isolation, detachment, and apathy about you, okay? If I'm just left to myself, all right, if I get in the lazy river and float on the tube, I go round and round and round, not worried about you, okay? That's what comes naturally to me. But Koinonia steps in and says, wait a minute. That's not the message of the New Testament. That's not, that's not what Christ died for us to experience. And it's reiterated a few times in the New Testament. If we look at 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. This is the opposite of isolation and detachment. Move into relationship with one another for, the, for a purpose. It's not purposeless. We don't go there just so we can have friends. It's nice to have friends most of the time, okay? It's nice, but that's not the purpose of community. The purpose of community is that we move into relationship with other people to build them up, okay? To, to actually encourage, to, to, and the word encourage is to like instill courage in others. This life is hard. We need encouraging. We need in, infusions, injections of courage just to move about day to day. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from all those messages on our, on our social media platforms. What those are trying to do is to get you to, to back down and not be courageous. They're trying to get you to shut up, to sit back. Don't speak on, the, on, on the behalf of the gospel. Don't do that. But what we do in koinonia, what we do in relationship with one another is that we instill one another with courage. We build one another up. And, it, and Paul's actually writing there to the church in Thessalonica and saying, and this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. And I, I can say, similar to them, around here at Life Community Church, this is what we're doing. This, is, this, this happens all the time. Community is experienced. People experience loss and others come alongside them to, to instill them with courage to help them move forward with that loss. It's also said in Galatians about, about our freedom. 
um, Paul writing. This is probably one of the first things written in the New Testament. And, 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 and they're just really coming to terms in the, in the early writings with what it means, that the, the gospel of good news that Christ has died to take away our sins. And it says, you were called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or to do what just sort of comes naturally to you. But through love, serve one another. See, my tendency, my tendency when it comes to life is to, I, I'm going I'm to do what I can do in order to, to benefit myself, to, to, to make my life more comfortable, to make things easier for me. But, but Paul's writing to the churches in this region of Galatia, and, and he's saying, wait a minute, the, 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 this, the, that's not the purpose of all this. Christ didn't die so you could have an easier, more comfortable life. He hasn't given you freedom so you can walk around doing whatever you want to do and not have to worry about the consequences. That's not the purpose of the gospel. That's not what we've been given. What we've been given is a freedom from fear to know that I can move into relationships with other people and serve them because I actually love them. That's contrary to detaching and isolating and, and my indifference that I carry around towards others. It's the opposite. One more thing on this. We can't do the, the work of the gospel alone, Okay? Remember, there's, there's three, these, these concerns are so intertwined. The first concern, remember we said, is what is the gospel? And then we said there's a mission. What is the mission? How do we live out the mission? And the third one was how do we live in unity? Well, this is where a point is kind of saying, like, they all come together and they're really enmeshed. Let me explain what I mean, okay? The gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ carries with it a mission. It's the, some of the last words Jesus spoke to his followers. Go and make disciples. Go. You've been with me. You know, you know what I've given you. Now go out and make disciples. And then in, in, in Acts chapter 1, the Spirit comes and the Spirit is given so they would have power to go out to all the world and be his witnesses. Like, there's a mission that's inherent in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a, as a Christian who's not supposed to be on mission for the gospel. You see, these ideas are tied together. But here's where that third one comes in. There's no, sort of no basis for saying, I'm on mission alone. Like, I've got to go out and do this on my own. There's very few places. I admit that there are some, but there's very few places where God sent someone out to do something alone. If we look back through the Old Testament, if we look back through the Old Testament, we see that Moses was given Aaron. We see that David had Jonathan. We see that actually, while some of the prophets may seem to be out on their own, we oftentimes find that Elijah had Elisha. He was given Elisha, okay? You see Jeremiah and Ezekiel writing letters back and forth and they couldn't be present with one another. There's an intertwining of their messages that they were feeding off one another. There was a pattern that God established and it actually comes from even the garden which says it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for people to operate alone. God has work for us to do and it's, it's not healthy, it's not right and we don't flourish when we try and do it alone. And so we can't do the work of the gospel alone. It's reiterated in Hebrews chapter 10. How can we, let us consider that. How can we stir up one another for love and what? Good work. Good works. Like our posture towards our neighbor in Christ, our posture towards our brother and sister in Christ ought to be. What can I do? What's the most loving way that I can move into your life so that you 
are spurred towards love and good work. And the same needs to be done for me. We need people invested in our life with a common spirit, people who say, I'm not going to just sit by and let you try and do this on your own. Have you ever had to move anybody on their own? Brett mentioned moving yesterday. Several years ago, sorry, my notes, it says moving story. I don't know if this will be a moving story, but it's a moving story. Um, <laughs> several years ago, someone was moving, and, um, and it was moving day for them, and I showed up bright and early to help them move. And this is not an indictment at anyone who maybe could have helped them too, but I was the only one who showed up to help them move. And they were moving their entire house. Okay? And then I found out they were moving an entire storage shed. And then I found out that after the storage shed, that the basement of their in-law's house was full of stuff that was theirs that needed to get to the new house. We rented the largest U-Haul you've ever seen. I think it was like a special order. Okay? And we filled it three times together. And five minutes in, I just, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Five minutes in, the person says to me, they said, thanks for coming. I really need your help. I tore my bicep last week. I can't carry anything heavy. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Let us consider <laughs> how to <laughs> stir one another towards love and good work. But, but have you ever tried to carry stuff on your own? Okay. Physically, yes. But what happens when some of those losses that we've thought about and we're trying to carry them on our own? What happens when there's someone in my life who needs the loving hands of the gospel? They need me to move into their life and I'm doing it alone. I can tell you that that day I got home and I think I crashed for about 48 hours. I literally moved a box of rocks. There was a box of rocks in that storage shed. I said, why is there a box of rocks? And they said, I don't know, my daughter. I said, okay. I carried the box of rocks. But trying to do these things on our own, it doesn't just produce exhaustion, it produces burnout. It produces, it produces what, what we deem as failure when we have to carry these things alone. And you see, what koinonia provides us, what koinonia provides us is people to walk alongside us and then to carry these burdens with us. We weren't meant to do the work of the gospel alone. The model of Christ, Christ himself, we know this, right? He gathered 12 together and he worked with them and trained them, but then he sent them out. And when he sent them out, how did he send them? In pairs. He said, go out into the cities and the countryside. Go two at a time. He sent them out together. The earliest Christians recognized this. In the book of Acts, you don't, read, you don't read about, at times you get an individual, but it's almost always Peter and John were preaching. It's almost always then Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy. They picked up on this pattern that it's the work of the gospel, the gospel and the work associated with it, one and two, are not meant to be done alone. We need community to carry out the mission. We need koinonia. We need not just soulmates, we need co-laborers. And what koinonia does, it provides us with co-laborers. So what's this mean for us? Let's talk about some implications here, okay? Indifference, okay? 
This is the indifference is not an option. It, sh- it ought not, if, if com- life, community is our middle name, if community is really our middle name, it means that indifference can't be an option. If we're going to take this seriously, we can't say, I don't care. We care, look, we care about a great deal of things. We care about that football team. Okay, fine, we care about it. I care about other sports teams. I care, I do, I spend so much time and energy on it. Okay? We care about the, the, the different debates of the day. We care, we spend all this energy reading about them and focusing on them. We care who wins an Emmy or a Grammy or an Oscar or whatever. We care about that stuff. We spend this time talking about it. Maybe I didn't hit yours yet, but you've got them. Like, you care about this stuff. But indifference towards my neighbor, what? How can we let our, give ourselves a pass on that? How can we give ourselves a pass and say that, that it's like God, God just wanted to save my soul and that's all he wanted from me was for me to just hand that over and now, and now it's done. He cares about our lives and he cares about the lives of our neighbors and he's, he's initiated a system where we're intended to be together so much so that those earliest Christians invented this word to tell us about it. We were meant to do this together. Indifference, if we're a follower of Christ, indifference isn't an option. Can we make it a priority? Look at Paul in Romans. We just looked at this a couple months ago. Let love be genuine. Abhor, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And look what it says. Love one another with brotherly affection. And these are great words. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo, like if, okay, if you want to fight about something, let's fight about this. Who can do the best at honoring their neighbor? What? If, if, if community could be our middle name, that would be the coolest thing to be known by. You know what? I can't get those people over there to shut up about how great this person is over here at honoring their neighbor, at doing good for their neighbor. They're not bragging about themselves. They're, they're, they're bragging about their neighbor. They're bragging about how great it is that, that, they're, that they're, they're constantly focused and worried, on, uh, worried about what they can do for their neighbor. Those are just amazing words. This is, again, this is so much of the New Testament is a description of what it means to live in unity of the gospel. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Look at um, Philippians chapter 2. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. This is, right? We that's, that is the opposite of this message. But in humility, count one another's more significant than yourselves. Like, we we can't be indifferent towards our neighbor and live consistently with the mission and the message of the gospel. We can't. I, I try. I try. I try to carve out my own little comfortable space. But as soon as I pick up this book and start to actually look at it and take it seriously, I see over and over again the reality that it's incompatible for me to not care about you and to say I care about Christ. I can't do that. We, we, we can't, that's, those two things, they, those are puzzle pieces that we're trying to cram together and they just don't fit. It also means this, we've got to be, so the reverse, right? If I'm, I can't be indifferent, I've got to be invested. I've got to be invested. I, I'm, here's a confession, like I'm, I'm not a retirement junkie, okay? Like uh, somebody gets a little bit of my money, very little bit, and then it hopefully grows to a place where I'm not a burden on my children, but if I am, Okay, all right. Um, <clears throat> maybe I should have turned a little, maybe if I am, okay. All right, um, <laughs> all right. 
That was all in jest. They're, they all love us, I hope. Um, but, but here's the thing. I'm not a retirement junkie, but I do understand the difference between being a consumer of something and an investor in something. Okay? I do understand that difference. I understand that, that the person who invests in something, they have a greater stake in whether or not that entity, if, it's, if, it's, if it is a financial investment in business, whether or not that business succeeds than someone who just happens to, to, to shop there or to consume what that entity provides. And in, in this context, what we're saying is, look, if we're just sort of a consumer of, of what God has done through the church, we've missed the, the boat here. We've missed the message. We're not meant to be consumers. We're meant to be investors. And, and who and what are we investing in? It's, it's we're investing in one another. We invest in one another for the mission of the gospel. This is what the, the message of the New Testament is saying to us if we're followers of Christ. Look at Galatians, a couple of verses in Galatians. Back to that book, one of the earliest things that, that uh, is written in the New Testament. But it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. But look at what it says in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This idea of bearing someone's burden is that we actually take their burden upon ourselves in a way that isn't just like God bless you and, and have a good day as you deal with that, but it's actually stepping into their burden in a way that we help them carry the load. It would have been great if someone showed up on that day to help me move this guy and his family. But wouldn't it be better in life if when, when the time comes because we're so invested with one another and this person that we're invested in in their life that we've moved into, that we experience the koinonia dynamic, wouldn't it even be greater than having someone to help you move if we have someone to help bear their struggles, their burdens? When marriage gets difficult, when parenting gets difficult, when my dreams go unrecognized, this is the dynamic. We must be invested in one another. Later in that passage, just a few verses down, verses 9 and 10, it says, let us not grow weary of doing good. It's hard. <laughs> For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially, catch this, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It doesn't mean that we ignore those on the outside. But here's the thing. I think what Paul's saying here is if, if we can't find loving community with people who share a Savior and a Spirit, if we can't find loving community with one another, what do we really have that the outside world is going to find appealing to them? If we can't find community, how can we be talking about it as if it's our middle name? So let me wrap up with this, okay? What do we do around here? One of the reasons we're talking about this is to help everyone understand, for all of us to get on the same page when it comes to what's our name. And you may look at this and go, uh, again? But yeah, uh, again, all right? We believe this. We believe this in a way that we, we, we put something forward that we call cell groups, okay? Cell groups, small groups, house groups, whatever, okay? Home groups, cell groups. 
And cell groups exist as a place where we do the very things we've been talking about this morning. We connect with one another at the level of our soul. We bear one another's burdens. We help others carry the heaviness of their life. And, And here's the thing about this. Cell groups themselves don't operate in isolation, okay? Like, what we do today, here's... There's not enough time in the world for me to, to give you one sermon that's going to put a nice bow on, on this topic and then walk away and you've got everything you need. Life Community Church is built on a structure, a system that says this. What we do here on this morning initiates and invites you into something. It invites you into walking through the issues of life. It's an invitation to worship God, to stand before him and say, you are God and I am not And it's an opportunity to hear from the scriptures in a way that we hope initiates things for you. Questions, concerns, thoughts, maybe some conviction. But but if, if all we do is this right here, Sunday morning, and we walk away, look at the drift. The drift is towards isolation. It's towards apathy. Okay, And then we maybe it comes back up later, sort of cognitively in our head. But what we've done is, this is the structure. Look, there are other structures. There are the good structures. This is where we put our energy. We put our energy into trying to put people into communities where the things, the stuff that's happening in our community, there's a place for it to, to, to dwell, a place for it to, to be worked on together, a place for it to be considered. And we hope from that, it, it, that out of those cell groups comes some self-reflection, People shine light, shine a light on the things that we can't currently see. The things that we're pr- at present we're blind to. And from that self-reflection comes a new direction for my life. Again, this is, this is exactly what we were just looking at this summer in Romans. If, if you were with us, if you weren't, it's great. Okay? But, but this is what we're talking about. This is, we believe. Now again, we would, there, there are lots of things churches can do, and we're not here to Tell any other church they've got to do this, but we really believe that the, the God of the universe has called us to this mission. And the mission is to get, to get people together around the word in their life and then to walk with one another through it so that the transformation that Paul writes about, the transformation of, of the renewing of our mind our, and, our, and, and the mercy of God producing a living sacrifice in me takes place so that I don't, I don't look like I used to look. I, I don't act the way I used to act. My, my words are different from what they were before, that I'm really changed. And that's why we do what we do. It's why we say community is our middle name. We're devoted to it. We're dedicated to it. Okay? Would you pray with me? God, we just, um, we come to you today and I just ask that, um, that you would continue to, to shower us with your grace. There's so many times and in so many ways that, um, that I'm such a poor reflection of who you are. But I thank you for your grace and I thank you for the way that you continue to, to move and to, to shape. God, give us a renewed sense of the ways that you work through all of us, through the one and others. God, help us, to, um, help us to pursue. For some of us, God, help us to take a first step to just 
to take, to take a first step, to, to move in that direction, maybe for the first time. God, for some, help us to recall, to recall why we were engaged with the community of believers in the first place. God, help us not to be stingy and greedy. But God, give us a sense that uh, your work is about the world knowing you and your glory. We praise you and we thank you. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.